Okay, we're going to pick up where we left off in 2 Corinthians. From a brief review standpoint, last week we did an introduction um, to, to 2 Corinthians and talked about the interconnectivity between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, a lot of the topics that are dealt with in 2 Corinthians kind of had its root or its foundation or the beginning, the genesis in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we also talked a little bit about um, the beginning of, of 2 Corinthians, the first 12 or so, 13 verses. Uh, we looked at um, how God provides comfort to us um, and as David had prayed, how we can provide comfort to, to each other. Uh, one comment that was brought up after class that I thought was really good um, is we talked a lot about the comfort that we can provide each other, how we can do that through, through the word, through our prayers, and I'm not going to get into the, all the details that we discussed. I think the, the interesting uh, comment that was made is, is there's an other side of that coin. If we aren't providing comfort um, if we aren't providing support, encouragement to each other, um, then we can also be discouraging. We can be causing, it's not the best word, but discomfort uh, to each other. And so we need to make sure, and I think that's, that's definitely true. Uh, you think about spiritually, but also emotionally and from an from a interconnectivity, we're either building each other up or we're tearing each other down. There's not a whole lot in between, and so we need to make sure that we're encouraging each other and building each other up and providing that comfort uh, to each other. We also talked a little bit about uh, some of the difficulties that Paul was going through, but also uh, talked a little bit about how we uh, can, can improve our walk through bearing through difficulties and trials and, and tribulations and how that will strengthen us. A uh, second comment that was brought to me after class that I thought was really good in, in the latter part of the verses we covered last week, I don't know, verses uh, 8 through 11, uh, talk about what Paul endured in Asia and how he, he came through that. One of the things that was brought up to me that I think, again, was a really great point uh, was when we think about oftentimes trials and difficulties and, and tribulations that we face, um, we're thinking about sickness and we're thinking about pain and we're thinking about maybe difficulties with job and difficulties with friendships and difficulties. We need to realize that as we're looking at Second Corinthians and looking at Paul's writing, what he was dealing with was because of the word because of his work in the word and his preaching and his teaching. Um, these trials, these difficulties, the, the stoning, the shipwrecks, all of that was because of the work he was doing for, for Christ and for God. And so I think it's important uh, for us to really realize that, that yes, we can apply these principles to any difficulties, any, any trials, any, any tribulations that we face in this life, but we need to be asking ourselves, are we doing everything we need to and can do for Christ, even if we would face, maybe not the same, but similar difficulties to what Paul faced? Uh, are, we, are we willing to, to endure whatever it takes in order to spread his word? Because that's our main goal in this life. It's not to, to earn money. It's not, it's not to uh, you know, have a good, comfortable life. It's, it's about winning souls for for. Christ, but it's also about us um, finishing the race um, and, and being, remaining faithful, and a lot of that has to do with us preaching, us teaching. Uh, and so 
Again, great points. Would encourage y'all, please speak up during class because um, those that brought those to my attention probably would have done a much better job sharing that than I just did. Uh, so value everyone's comments and uh, really would love to have um, comments as we continue through this. But let's pick up, let's pick up in verse 12. Um, in 2 Corinthians. And I'm going to read, as I said last week, my plan is to actually read uh, this out loud, the verses we're going to be covering out loud each week. Uh, Again, that was the original intent when uh, these letters were written to the churches in the first first century. So I'm going to read verses 12 through maybe chapter 2, verse 4, because I think those first few verses in chapter 2 especially connect into the end of chapter 1. So if you'll follow along with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you. We write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I intended at first to come to you, that you might twice receive a blessing, that to That is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I, or that which I proposed, do I propose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it is yes in him. For as many as may be the promises of God, in him they are yes. Wherefore also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as a witness to my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith you are are standing firm. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? And this is the very thing I wrote you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. Having confidence in you, all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I especially which I have especially for you. So, um, as we started getting into in verse 12 and, and 14 
In particular, last week, we see Paul talking and speaking to his, his sincerity, uh, but also where he puts his confidence. Um, you see him talking about his testimony and looking to, not to his own wisdom, not to worldly wisdom, but to, to God for the, the uh, guidance for the words that he's spoken to them. Uh, you see um, no hidden motives here. Um, and again, I think here we're, we're transitioning back to him dealing with and addressing some of these false teachers that are coming and trying to steer to guide the church at Corinth away from uh, Christ's teachings and uh, away from the teachings of Paul, um, obviously speaking as the voice of God, uh, as an inspired teacher. Uh, so he didn't look for fleshly wisdom. I, I thought about Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 3 through 7. Uh, where we, we read in the, in the early part of those verses, uh, he took no pride in Christ Jesus, but put, um, in fact, why don't we turn over to that so I don't paraphrase it wrong again, because it seems like I got it wrong last week. Um, let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. We won't read all of these verses, uh, but let's read verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See Paul writing, put no confidence in the flesh. If we skip down to verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He didn't put confidence in the worldly things. He didn't put confidence in worldly wisdom. He didn't put confidence in, in worldly possessions. Uh, put all confidence in God. And he's trying to convey that to the church at Corinth. Um, he's not doing this out of some selfish goals. Uh, and we're going to see later on in, the, in this chapter and in chapter 2, it's not about acquiring wealth and acquiring uh, money for what he's doing. It's out of sincerity. It's out of true motives as far as serving God and serving the word. Um, he transitions in verses uh, 15 and following um, to uh, his travels and defending some of his uh, motives related to his travels. Um, the false teachers, again, had, had, had reading between the lines, had all, for all purposes, tried to discredit him because he had not come to them. Uh, but he says that he, he had not decided according to the flesh. If you look at verse 17, I, will not, um, vac- I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, or that which I proposed, do I propose according to the flesh? Um, and then in verse 12, uh, backing up, um, not in fleshly wisdom, as we've said. Uh, so I think we can, we can imply that some of this was his wisdom uh, that was um, obviously given by God, but some of it could also be guidance from the Holy Spirit as far as whether he came to them or not. So he's not, again, looking at himself. He's looking to God for guidance. He's looking, but also he's looking to what's best for the church at Corinth. And we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit. Uh, so even though his plans changed, even though he didn't come to them and he had planned to come to them twice, uh, he, even though he didn't come to them immediately, it shouldn't affect the validity of his teaching. Uh, it, shouldn't cause, it shouldn't have caused the church at Corinth to start doubting him. Um, if you look over in verse 22, 
Um, read Paul writing, who also, let's begin in verse 21. Now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Um, again, he's looking to that seal, that, that validation that came from God. But I think it's also interesting, as I was studying this, uh, referring back to 1 Corinthians. So if you turn back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, um, yeah, I have it up on the screen. Chapter 9, talking about the church at Corinth being his seal. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse t- 2, If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So their faithfulness, the establishment of that church... Um, the things that he did within that church is, is his seal. Um, but we can look at some of the other verses in Acts 9. Um, Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can look at Hebrews uh, 2, the signs and the wonders that were done. So not only is the church at Corinth and the work he did there, their faith, uh, the, the establishment of that congregation, a seal and a proof of his apostleship. But obviously there are many things within the scripture that point to Paul and support Paul as the apostle that, that he was and, and show him having that authority or should have that authority. Um, and so, again, it's interesting that interconnectivity between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but again, we're seeing Paul starting to make that argument and creating those foundation blocks um, that should reinforce the church at Corinth. I think it's interesting also, again, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, they were that seal. They should have had that relationship with him such and that confidence because of what they had seen him do. Uh, but also um, what his intentions were from the very beginning, that their their confidence in him shouldn't have been wavering. Uh, and I think it goes back to, in my mind, how important it is for the church at Corinth, but also how important it is for us to guard against false teachers and guard against those who might be coming in in sheep's clothing um, and... You think about who, who likely were these false teachers in Corinth. You know, they, they had the, on the surface the appearance of those teaching the word, uh, but were trying to twist and, and steer them away from, steer Corinth away from, from the true word. And so, in all likelihood, as is often the case, the, the devil's not going to come with just a complete lie and nothing but lies. He's going to come with a twisted view of, of facts. And so I think it's important for us to think about those things is even though Paul had a, by all accounts, very close relationship with the church at Corinth, these false teachers were able to at least steer some away from the true path. And so if, if first century congregations were facing those same challenges, we can too. And we need to just be on guard and think about that. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more as we continue today, but also continue in the, the weeks to come about that whole idea. Um, so why had Paul changed his plans? Why had Paul um, delayed coming to, to Corinth?
so he'd give give them time. And again, looking at at verses twenty three and twenty four, it um, we see that explanation. But I call on God as a witness, verse twenty three, to my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but as workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. So to David's point, the reason for that delay was not because, as we'll get into, a yes, yes, no, no, some kind of indecision on his part or a deception on his part. It was for their best interest and in their best interest. Um, you think about... Um, Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where we see um, kind of this idea, this topic first addressed, um, or maybe not first addressed, but addressed um, in the, the, um, the first letter. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse, let's begin in verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. For what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? And so again, that whole idea of coming to them with a rod. Um, I think about uh, several verses. I think I've got up there Galatians chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 18 with how we should approach those who are in sin. Uh, Galatians 6, restore them with the spirit of gentleness. And Matthew chapter 18, going to them in private and, and having them make those corrections. And so I think those principles, those ideas, apply to what Paul is trying to do now to the church, with the church at Corinth. Uh, it was about trying to get them to return to God, and he's using you know, his wisdom but he's also using the wisdom that's been given to him in the scriptures. He's been given um, at that time, or we should use the wisdom that's given to us in the scriptures. At that time, he's using the wisdom that's given to him by God to do what's best for those individuals. Don't get me wrong. There are times where we have to pull people from the fire, and it needs to be uh, maybe more abrupt and more aggressive, for lack of a better term. But in this instance, he's using giving that church time to make the corrections. And I think about a couple of things. So first of all, you know, that gentleness is what this church needed. Um, but also, he, I think, is wanting to make the, or have them make these decisions, make these corrections for the right reasons. If he, as the one who helped establish this congregation, came with a rod, there might be some tendency to just yield to him because he's driving them. Um, you know, it's, as is often the case, I think about my teenagers. Um, you know, I can get them to do whatever I need them to do, but they might not be doing it for the right reason. And so I think that's kind of how I think about it is, could Paul have come in with that rod and gotten them to do what they needed to do? Yeah, he could have. He had the authority to do it. We can see that in the, this chapter. We can see it in the following chapters and in, in, in 1 Corinthians. But would they have been doing it for the right reason? Would their heart have been in the right place? Would they have been making these corrections in the right way? And, and again, I think, think to the end of this, this chapter, in, in the end of verse 24, for in your faith you are standing firm. Would they be standing firm in their faith if he had driven them to make those corrections. I'd suggest to you, probably not. You know, it's about a change in heart. It's about a change in, in attitude. Um, and so um, 
let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. And again, I think talking about that idea of, of standing firm in the faith, I thought about these verses uh, that we've just recently studied. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So, introduced by faith into the grace in which we stand. If Paul had come to them with a rod, driving them, would would that faith have been increased? Would that faith have been strengthened? Maybe. Uh, again, I'm speculating here a little bit. Uh, don't get me wrong. But you got, I think we can see how them making their own corrections, them working within their church, their, their congregation, is going to make them stronger if they make those corrections. I also think back to 1 Corinthians, and a lot of what Paul dealt with within 1 Corinthians was that division uh, the divisions within the church and the divisions that, that for various reasons, by them working through this on their own, are they going to be stronger as a church? Are they going to be stronger as a group? I would suggest yes. I just wanted to say that goes for a lesson for us today. We You can't force anybody to... Um, obey the gospel, do what you're telling them to do. And just like Paul couldn't force the Corinthians to listen to him, but if you do it in a loving and a kind manner, and you refer to Christ as your Savior and use him as your example, that's a more easier way of telling people about the gospel and about the truth. And and that's more easier to take a correction of that way if you're, you're helping somebody that may be um, in sin because it's a general way of doing it. Like you said, it comes from the heart. It comes from love. You must always do it from love, not from just anger or whatever. Yep. Very good. So we're going to transition into to chapter 2. Again, I think it, it dovetails, um, as I said last week, and I think it's it's going to be true throughout the book of Second Corinthians, the letter of Second Corinthians. The chapter divisions aren't necessarily, in my opinion, in a perfect place. Um, I think you see several verses that if I was going to make the division, I might change where this division happens, and it's not going to be unique to these chapters. Uh, it's uh, throughout, um, and so we're going to transition into the the beginning of chapter two, which again I think links very closely to what we've been talking about as far as that idea of sparing them and the, um, and the sorrow that he had uh, concerning their sin. Um, and I think in verses 3 and 4 in particular, we see that sorrow, that anguish, that pain that Paul was feeling. And so I think about um, as we're facing sin, um, we, we can have some of those same Feelings and some of those same emotions towards those that we love. Uh, you think about if there's someone we love, uh, whether it's a family member or whether it's just someone we're close, that have, have fallen away. And as we work to try to direct them back, um, A, it's not a difficult process. But, but more importantly, it's, it's um, for our point here, it's, it's something that can bring us sorrow and something that we're, we have to deal with, whether it's a pain over the loss or the sorrow over having to correct them. Um, 
are just the concern over them. And again, I think back to some of our comments that we made and discussed in chapter one around uh, providing that support and that comfort to each other. I think there's some interconnection here. Um, this is definitely a place where we need to be looking to comfort each other and help each other out. Um, as we're facing, um, in, and as individuals or as a congregation dealing with sin, um, it's not an easy process. And so whether it's words of encouragement um, or, uh, as we said last week, you know, a, a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, we need to make sure that we're reaching out to each other as, we're, as we know uh, we're dealing as individuals or as a congregation with those sins. And I think, uh, again, we see Paul's sorrow over that. Um, but we also know um, he's speaking of his sorrow in, in not coming to them and in trying to address those issues, but we, we know we can look forward. Um, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he knew that they had made the corrections they needed to. So uh, we're going to see that that transition in this chapter in the some parallels or some comparisons um, that that sorrow versus the joy that he's feeling based on them making the corrections they need to. So he knew of their repentance already. Uh, we can see that in Second Corinthians chapter seven, and obviously written at the same time as these early chapters were. Um, the one thing I'm not going to get into because it's obviously a pretty significant rabbit hole that I that. Um, we don't have definitive answers for. Um, in verse 1, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. There's some that suggest that Paul had already been there, had made another trip that's not recorded in the Scriptures. So first of all, Scriptures are silent, and so I kind of stay away from the stuff that is a lot of speculation. But just know that there's a lot that discuss whether he came to them again or whether he wrote to them again. I'm of the opinion that he didn't. Um, just from a context standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, we read in verse chapter 1, verse 23, that he didn't come to them to spare them. <clears throat> um, we can read in some other verses, some, some other contextual things, um, that just it doesn't make sense that if he's saying, I wouldn't come to you in sorrow, but then I came to you. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think in all likelihood, um, from a uh, maybe the the language isn't crystal clear on how it's worded, but I think he's talking, just reiterating, he's not coming to them in sorrow, um, and not coming to them with the sorrow that he showed in First Corinthians. But again, I don't want to really get into a ton of detail. It's just more some background nuggets as you're studying. You might see um, those disputing this. And again, I don't know that it's a useful dispute uh, for our purposes of understanding the, the passage or understanding the chapter. So I'm going to transition and I want to read uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through the end of the chapter. Again, keeping to what, what I'd, I'd said I hope to do each time. But before I do that, I wanted to see... As we're transitioning into chapter um, 2, verses 5 and following around this idea of forgiving those that are in sin, forgiving for, for the church at Corinth, this individual in particular, is there any other comments that, that anyone would like to make before I transition or move on? Anything that I missed? I know there's a lot that I missed. Uh, 
because we're kind of scooting through this quick, but um, anything that you think the group would benefit. You can come to me after class, but it'd be better if you share it with the class. <laughs> it's always good to hear good comments, so I, I, I appreciate the comments after class. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I know the, the rest of the group would benefit from it. Okay, so let's, tra- let's continue on. I'm going to read verses 5 through 17 um, to give us kind of an idea of what um, initially the initial presentation of this letter might have been like to the church at Corinth. But if any is called sorrow, he is called sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, for to this end also I wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sake in the presence of Christ, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened to me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus my brother. But taking my leave of him, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests, us, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, to another, to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So we see beginning in verse 5, it's talking about the sorrow again, uh, but, uh, but then transitions in 6 and, and 7, talking about the idea of, of um, the forgiveness that they need to be thinking about in their hearts uh, relative to these individuals, or this individual. Uh, and again, I think back, first of all, um, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, this is another, you know, where there's some dispute over, is this, uh, in this, the, this part of the chapter, referring back to this individual in 1 Corinthians 5, um, Again, there's not a definitive answer to that. I think it makes sense that there's a connection, or, or there's some that's, that suggest that there was another issue uh, with Paul in particular. Again, I, from a context standpoint, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, let me go ahead and, so I don't get behind on my, my slides. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If we look at verses 6 and 7, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Um, so we see there, uh, their, the idea and their direction, um, their instruction that Paul was providing relative to the one who was in sin, the one who um, 
the individual who's living with his father's wife. Um, I think we can skip, um, I guess, back up uh, in verse 5. I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, And then skip down to verse uh, 11. I wrote to you to not associate with any so-called brother if you should be if he should be an immoral person or covetous or idolater, reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So you see the direction in the instruction from a correction that Paul laid out in 1 Corinthians. Um, And now he's telling them, again, we know that they had made the correction, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, we know that this individual had turned away and, and, at least by all accounts, repented of the sin. At the very least, he wasn't among them anymore. Um, but now we're seeing that transition as far as the instruction related to that sinner and that, that person uh, that's being um, corrected. Um, and so we see Paul here saying, that person has repented, that individual, that sin has been removed. Um, once that happens, we as a congregation, the church at Corinth, needs to forgive, needs to accept them back in. Um, you know, I thought about several passages. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 4 through 3, it's uh, looking at the discipline of God. Um, you know, the one he loves, he disciplines. It's painful for a while, but yields those peaceable fruits of righteousness. Um, so you see that that painful and that sorrow early in the chapter over what had to be done, over the sin that was in their midst, the difficulty that, that we just read in, in 1 Corinthians that they had to go through as far as making those corrections. Um, now, there's, now it's time, once that person has repented, to accept them back in. Um, I thought about... Um, um, that whole idea of forgiveness. What would, what would be, and this chapter lays out some of the potential issues, if they didn't forgive him, if they didn't forgive this individual? Similarly, if we don't, once we see the repentance, the fruit of repentance, um, what are some of the consequences that could happen if, if we don't forgive, we don't accept an individual back into the congregation? So they could fall back into sin. They could fall back into the the world. What else? Well, the first thing to me is, uh, just like back in 1 Corinthians 5, when you see that the congregation winds up in sin because they are participating with, mm-hmm. with that sin in that they are allowing that into their fellowship, if they don't forgive on the other end, then the, the congregation or those that don't forgive can wind up in sin toward that brother and, of course, ultimately toward God yep. because they did not forgive as they should have. Yep. And so I think it's a, that idea of a little bit of leaven leavens a whole lump, and that goes both ways. You know, whether it's the sin that you allow to be in your midst, I didn't turn that on, um, or whether it's your response to sin, if it's incorrect, you know, that... That pattern that can be set by us can spread across the congregation. And whether it's a congregation as a whole to begin with or whether it's just me, and I don't approach that individual correctly, you know, 
leaven can can spread. David. Yep. <clears throat> Verse 11 says that Satan would take advantage of that. <clears throat> That's one of his tools, and, you know, we're not to be ignorant of those devices, as the New King James Version says. Uh, but on a very basic level, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that if we don't forgive others, we not, we're not going to be forgiven. Yeah. 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 I think that um, it's a good kind of transition into, to, um, David got a little bit ahead of me, but um, uh, transition into to some of the, I'll go ahead and um, so that Satan doesn't take advantage. Um, you know, I think about, um, and let's turn over to First Peter um, chapter 5, um, the, because I do think we need to realize that sin by its very nature um, can cause problems for us, obviously, can separate us from, from God, but also how we respond to sin is and can be, um, if we respond incorrectly, you know, one of these, these um, ways that Satan can take advantage of us. Um, I thought, again, about um, 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, again, just the imagery here is, always sticks out in my mind. It's a passage that we're all very familiar with. Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober-spirited, be only alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Think about, the, to David's point, the devices of Satan. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we have to be on guard both against sin but also on guard against how our attitude um, uh, and our heart might not be right. Um, to, to Eric's point, if we don't forgive and we aren't doing what we're supposed to in the Scriptures, we're just as guilty as the sinner. Uh, if we aren't forgiving and we aren't returning that person, um, we're just as guilty as the one who's, who's living with his, his uh, father's wife. And so it's, it's important for us to realize that, that these could be, and they are, the vices of Satan. Um, yeah. so, I was going to say, it's not just about forgiveness. It mentions forgiveness, but it also mentions the comfort. Mm-hmm. And reaffirming your love. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, to Tali's point, it's not only just forgiveness, it's that comfort and that accepting the person back in. Lee, um, uh, it's accepting that person back in, providing that comfort. Uh, because, uh, and, and as I was preparing for this, I got to thinking about that a little bit. It, um, living with your father's wife is, you know, in, granted, all sins the same, but in our minds, it's a pretty bad sin. Um, and so we, from a worldly standpoint, um, are, and as individuals, fleshly individuals, sometimes go, wow. And so we, we should, any sin is the same. If they're repenting of it, they're turning away from it. Regardless, we should accept them back in, provide that comfort to Tolly's point so that they don't fall back into the sin, so that they, they are encouraged to, to be more faithful, to be stronger. Back to some of the points earlier, we're either building people up or we're tearing people down. I'll let Tolly have one more comment. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're in the comfort then. Mm -hmm. Our consequences, we still comfort them, and we don't continue to punish them, but they get deserved. Yeah. If we comfort them, knowing that they're going to do that, we're lost. You know, this is a consequence of my sin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Tali's stealing all my thunder. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, along that very same line, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Uh, in the Beatitudes, we're told, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But if a person is truly convicted in their sin, they're mourning. They're hurting bad. Mm -hmm. And the last thing they needed is for us to kick them while they're down. Yep. Uh, we need to help pull them and, and pull them out the best we can. Yep. Very good. Chris? The uh, question of whether verse 5 relates to 1 Corinthians 5 in that specific situation or not. I think 1 Corinthians 5 is an example, but it's also there's a principle there that we should follow of uh, if this person, if a brother is in sin, this is what we're supposed to do. And that's laid out mostly in verse 11, like what you're reading. Uh, and likewise, 2 Corinthians 2 um, and verse 5, that, and you know, this, this section is uh, also a principle that we're supposed to follow. If it... I mean, it certainly um, matches the pattern of if that person in uh, chapter 5 of, of the first Corinthian letter that we call it, um, if he repented, then, you know, that's great. But whether he did or not, this is uh, something that we should follow for anyone who repents. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of universal in principle yeah. that way. Yeah, completely agree. I think the, the other thing I got to thinking about, and I think you guys are all touching on this, is I've seen um, within the church, there's those that might say, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Um, you know, you've sinned against me. I'm going to forgive you. We're good, but I ain't going to forget it. You're not going to do that to me again. Um, and it's a difficult thing to overcome, but I thought about um, Hebrews chapter 8. If we'll turn over to that, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, talking about God forgiving us um, and how God approaches sin and how God thinks about sin. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. You think about how God approaches sin. When there's that repentance, there's that forgiveness. When there's that turning from sin, it says, obviously, he's going to forgive us, but he's going to remember it no more. And that's sometimes easier said than done as humans, uh, but it's, it's our task. It's not, just, it's not just forgiving. It's the slate's clean. It's the slate's is, is blank. And so I think it's that attitude that we need to take on um, as we're, we're dealing with the sinners. Um, backing up for a second, because uh, we're running out of time, and I'm not going to get through this chapter, but we think about um, how God, how Christ, just as he forgave us, we should forgive. Uh, I think that's the first thing that comes to my mind, is we think about how many things we've been forgiven and the mercy and the grace that we've been shown we should, forgive, we should forgive each other in the same way. Uh, I think about going back to the beginning of chapter 2, Paul talking about his sorrow turned into joy. Do we have joy when those sinners return? Um, 
and and then lastly, the, we want to we have to be careful that that the sorrow is uh, turned to joy because we don't want that sorrow to turn into a worldly sorrow that leads to more sin that leads to them the sinner being discouraged. Um, now, granted, the application of chapter seven is is more on the individual, but I think we as a congregation, as individuals, um, if we don't forgive, can, can lead that, that erring Christian down the wrong direction and to, a, to an idea of discouragement uh, rather than encouragement. So got one last comment, and then we're going to have to end it. Um, but I appreciate all the participation. Your own. I'm reminded when the disciples asked Jesus... How should I forgive my brother? And it's said that, should it seven times? Yeah. And Jesus replies, yea, 70 times seven. Yeah. Yeah. So our attitude is very important in regard to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. So we'll pick up here. We'll pick up in verse 12 or so in chapter 2. Um, not next week because it's a gospel meeting, but week after next. But appreciate everyone's participation.